Good morning. Welcome to Parkview. Great to see you guys. Thanks for coming today. And uh, we're going to study the book uh, from the book of Genesis today. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 2. So very early in your Bible, just maybe a page in. That would be great. Um, before I preach, too, just have a couple of maybe just things to make sure you are aware of um, announcement-wise. We're going to take communion this morning. So that means we're not going to take an offering, and there's some offering receptacles in the back. So if you're a member, a regular attender, and uh, you had an offering today, that's where it goes today. So um, this ministry is run on your prayers and your gifts and tithes. So um, just a reminder of that. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad you're here. I would love to meet you afterwards, or uh, any of the other pastors or leaders have a green lanyard or like a name tag. You just go talk to one of them, uh, or go to Parkview Connect. And uh, you also got one of these guys when you came in. If you're new, just tear off the bottom part and give it to somebody at Parkview Connect, and they have a gift for you there, too. So we're really glad that you're here. Uh, a couple things you'll notice, like one of them's in here and one's not. Uh, if you'd like to become a member of Parkview, the membership class, the next one is in two weeks. So you can let us know that also on the tear-off sheet. Take it to Parkview Connect or stick it fold it up, stick it in the receptacle thing there too. That'd be great. And then also in two weeks, we're doing some baptisms. And if that's something you've been wanting to do or explore, if you let us know this week, we'll do the best we can to get you ready and, and ready for that baptism in two weeks. So let us know about that as well. So um, just wanted to, uh, as a church family, uh, just let you in on a couple of things too that um, I just want us to be real and uh, if things are hard, uh, I want to let you know that. If things are going great, it's let you know that. So actually, let me start with this one. Remember the food drive we did a couple weeks ago? You guys, in one day, raised 2,300 pounds of food, or maybe a little higher. So we took that and split it between two food banks that were working with us in North Liberty and Coralville. And it was just uh, fun. The people that delivered it said they were just stunned. Like, how, where did this come from? How many days did it take to raise this? You know, those kind of things. And just to be able to, you know, the people to tell them, oh, it was just one day, and yeah, it was Parfit Church, and we just want to bless the community. So good job on that, you guys. Like, it's over a ton of food just in that one day. So good job on that. Um, so a couple things kind of with my, my team I'd love for you to be praying for and just uh, we have a great uh, team of staff, pastors here that love you, serve you, want to equip you. Uh, so um, some of you heard in an email uh, that one of our pastors, John McHale, has taken a position in the Dallas area. So John has been overseeing community groups and soul care. And um, in John's years here, he has loved people well. I would put that banner over those years here. And there are people whose lives are on a totally different trajectory right now because God, God used John in, in their lives. So uh, it's an exciting move for him as far as family that'll be in the area. It's kind of where they came from uh, as a family relationally before they came up here uh, and a great opportunity to work with some people he has connection with from his past. But here just kind of leaves that loss other than excited to see how God is going to take those seeds planted in these lives and continue to bear fruit. We're already seeing that, so very grateful for that. Another guy on our team I want you to know about is Thomas Hoke. And uh, Thomas was kind of sharing the community group load uh, with John, as well as doing a lot of equipping for us. And so we were already bracing for, okay, for a season, Thomas, you're going to be carrying an extra load. How can we as a staff and a church come around you? And then a lot of you that know and love Thomas and his family know that uh, his mom passed away like two weeks ago. Greta, who used to help us in worship and 
served in so many ways. So if you can just imagine, you know, the, I, I call it like the truck that just got dumped, you know, the load that just got dumped into Thomas's life. And uh, just be praying for him, come around him and his wife, Katie. Um, at the same time, you guys, he's been here a year, and if you've been around him or been in any of his classes, Thomas has a real gift to equip uh, the body of Christ. And he set out a real ambitious uh, plan for this fall. Uh, so um, one of the slides you're going to see here is our Parkview Training Institute. You're going to see that logo a lot. It's kind of Thomas's creation. And his desire is to really train you and equip you uh, to be stronger in your faith so that you can serve. So part of our gather, grow, go model is that we see growth happening when you're in a community group, but we also see growth happening when you are equipped and trained in different ways. So uh, take one of those booklets and just look at these opportunities. Um, two that are coming up real quick here. Next week, there's one on prayer. So one of the training tracks is how to prepare you to live out the traits of a disciple that we've been talking about. One of those traits is you connect, you enjoy God's presence. And so there's a training time next week on prayer. So if you could use a reboot or kind of a, kind of a boost in your prayer life, that would be a great PTI class to go to next week. And then there's one Thomas is launching in a couple weeks on the book of Second Peter. And what Thomas's heart behind that is, is for three weeks, he wants to teach you some methods and how to study the Bible while you're actually studying a really cool book of the Bible, Second Peter. And so if you could use like some retooling or freshening in your approach to studying scripture, that would be a great class to go to. So um, be praying for uh, our team. I feel like there's a lot of being stretched. There's a lot of uh, stress, pressure on trying to run three campuses um, and some of the heavy lifting we're trying to do as a church. So if you see one of those guys, pray for them, encourage them, drop them a note this week, really anybody on the team, uh, that would be great. I just want to be honest with you and just be praying that we contend humbly together uh, for the gospel. So um, let me pray, and then we'll jump into our, our study today. Thanks for giving me those minutes to catch you up. So let me pray. So, Father, I thank you uh, for the privilege of coming into your presence this morning. And I was thinking of it this way today. When we come before you and just be real and honest, and we play our cards, if we were honest, the cards we would play before you this morning would be words like needy, inadequate, broken. And what's awesome about coming into your presence, God, is that you trump each one of those cards with loved and with mercy, and with grace. <laughs> we don't belong here in your presence this morning, but here we are. And so would you speak to us today? Thank you for the book of Genesis and how complex, but yet how practical it is for us. So would you speak clearly to your people today? Encourage them, remind them of who they are, what you've called them to do, and of where we're going to find joy in this life. So speak to us. And so let me give you a minute just to ask God to speak to you today. Ask God to teach you one thing about himself and one thing about you. And if you could pray for me to, 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 to preach humbly, clearly, and boldly to you this morning. Thanks, Lord. We're ready to hear from you. Teach us now. In your great name we pray, amen. All right, so we are in the book of Genesis, and we have spent about three weeks-ish, 
maybe a little longer, in the first, like from chapter one up through chapter two, verse three. And kind of the theme you've seen so far is that God is the infinite, almighty God, the God who just merely spoke and the heavens and the earth came to be. And so really, if you were asked, okay, what is kind of the purpose and the point of that whole first chapter? It was to bring us to that point of awe, that, that God is an amazing God. We've talked about that we think Moses was the author of this, and his original audience would have been God's people leaving 400 years of slavery in Egypt, being surrounded by all other stories of different gods and different creation narratives and different stories about who we are. And God wanted his people to know that their God is the eternal, infinite God. Like, don't waste your time worshiping other gods. Like, worship the true God who merely spoke and all that we see came to be. And so if you've had maybe a Bible as lit class before in high school or maybe in college or whatever, usually the the normal role if you go through the book of Genesis is chapter one and chapter two are completely different chapters written by completely different authors. It's clear that this is not one continuous story. And I would push back on that and say there are some amazing differences between chapter one and two, but we do not need to jump to that conclusion right away. In fact, I think this is all still one story. But what you're seeing in chapter one is God's communication to us about his creation of the whole world, the whole universe, to that point of worship no other gods besides the God, the true God, right? So now in chapter two, verse four, there's kind of a turn toward the focus on God's creation of the first person, the first man and the first woman. So same story, now different lens, different look at uh, the, the creation story. And so again, we've talked about this before. There are so many uh, questions we still have from Genesis. Like you read it, like part of us would hope that this would be a, a scientific journal entry where we could have all of our questions answered about how God made what he did, right? Or a philosophical journal where all of our hard questions can be answered like, did Adam have a belly button? Like he's going to be the first one created. Was there or wasn't there? Was he just flat there in the front? You know, not to mention any or outie, but did he have a belly button? You know, there's a lot of questions people have thrown at Genesis, but really the point uh, is that God is communicating the essentials that he wants them to know about his creation and about where we have come from. In fact, today, the main points he wants to drive home to his people and to us is um, who are we? Like, what is our value? Why are we here? What's our vocation? And how will we be satisfied? Where will we find joy in life? And so if you want to stand with me, let me just read the text we're going to look at, and then we're going to answer those three questions. What's our value? What's our vocation? And where are we going to find joy? So I'm going to read verses 4 to 9, and then verses 15 to 17. You can follow along. And thanks for standing out of giving God's word attention this morning. So it says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the, heaven, the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight 
and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then jumping to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. All right, grab a seat. Thank you for listening to that. Now let's look again, our value, our vocation, and our joy. So I hope you noticed in verse 7, just the very personal way that God created the first person. In chapter 1, it was all by voice. It was like the word of the Lord went out and it happened. But in verse 7, you see God actually getting his hands into the dirt. Like God is getting involved here. God is forming the first man. Verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Those words that are used there are used in other places in the Old Testament of sculpting, of a sculptor, of, of a, kind of a, a, an artisan at work, a, a, a kind of that a, a masterpiece, a creation has been made that God himself with his hands formed the first person. And then you see something that's just totally different than the rest of God's creation, that even then after he formed this person, he himself literally breathed life into the nostrils. It just exudes intimacy, like a face-to-face, not maybe that you would kiss uh, in the nose these days, but like still to breathe life in just shows God's personal affection and attention as he has created this first person. It totally stands out from all the rest of God's creation. We saw at the end of chapter one when it described how the first man and woman were created that we uniquely bear the image of God out of all the rest of creation. So we are different. We are created, we talked about then, to connect with God and to reflect him uniquely than the rest of creation. But here you even see, as Genesis 2 is looking, I think, at the creation from the angle of the creation of the first people, again, you see God's intention, God's heart, and God's, God's love, his joy in this first person that he has created. So we, we bear his image, and he creates us to be like him and to know him. So this is a theme that you see carried throughout the Bible and throughout the the Old Testament in particular, that we have a God who is astonishingly infinite, but also a God who is astonishingly intimate. He's big, and yet he's small. He cares for each one of us. I'm sorry this is happening. Maybe, Phil, if I do that, is that better? Okay, I'm sorry about that. So uh, Psalm 139 says, for example, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God knows every detail about us. When we stand, when we sit, he knows what we're going to say before we say it. So this infinite God is deeply acquainted with us because he made us and he loves us. He's the one that pours life into us. Like when God said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, it says the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, uh, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Again, every one of us, not just this first man, but every one of us formed by God in our mother's wombs for uh, a purpose. And that purpose is to be valued by him, to be loved by him, to stand out uniquely from the rest of all his creation. This gives to every human being a dignity that just sets us apart from the rest of God's creation. So um, there is, I believe, a basic need 
in all of our hearts. I think we have been created to know this God, but yet when you live in a broken world like we do today, and if God's removed from that picture, then instead of finding our affirmation and our identity, our value in God, we are looking for other places for that now. And what we tend to do is we look for, we want to be admired, we want to be accepted, and if we can be admired and accepted by people that we admire, we think are awesome, then that's, that's a good thing. So we'll get on these treadmills and we'll try to gain approval uh, by our performance, uh, our achievements, our accomplishments, our appearance, like just all kinds of different ways. And so as you know, and as you've tried, uh, maybe that works for a while. Maybe you got your approval ratings are up, but then the next thing you know, they're down. Uh, there's always somebody you can find that's better. It leads to a lot of competition, comparison. The way you treat other people then is totally twisted. You look at people maybe as, as people to be competed with for the attention of, the approval of people around you. Everything just kind of gets out of whack when you remove this basic teaching of God that you are valued by the one who is the most infinite. So there is a quote from the Lord of the Rings, and I may be the first pastor since Wade, uh, or ever since Wade, to quote from Lord of the Rings, but here we go. So the quote is that the praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. Isn't that cool? The praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. And maybe it's Sunday morning, you're going, wait, what does that mean? Like, follow that again? So, like, what we learned in Genesis 2 is, like, who is the most praiseworthy? And that's the infinite creator God, right? And so, if he looks at you and says, I made you, I formed you, I personally have poured my life into you, I love you, you're here for a purpose, that is where you're going to find your, um, your surest uh, sense of identity and of value. So, um, pastors have communicated that in all kinds of ways over the years. Like one who says, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it, you know? So, or if God had an iPhone, like you'd be on a screensaver. You'd be like all these different like pictures. Got to have a bumper sticker. They say, I'm proud of my kid or whatever. So there's all kinds of ways, but you see just right there, you have been personally made, created by God. So here's maybe a poor analogy, but let's take a run at this. So it's going to be a football one. Sorry about this. But let's say you were a small town Iowa football player, and you were very average up and through your junior year, but something happened in the summer of your junior year. You grew like six inches taller, and you put on like 50 pounds of just pure muscle, and your speed increased, your strength increased, and you never went to one of those big high-profile recruiting camps. You just played on an eight-man football team in small-town Iowa, and so as the games start in your senior year, you are dominating, and so you're going, wow, this is fun, and, but you're asking this question, am I good? Am I good, or am I just like small-town Iowa good? And so again, you rack up another huge game and another huge game, but that question's not answered until one day you're at school, and you get a text from your mom, and she says, hey, there's a coach that's been watching your film, and he's coming over for dinner tonight at 7 o'clock, and he wants to talk to you. Man, just like instantly, like you're encouraged, but you're also wondering, okay, who, who is this coach, you know? And so who is it, Mom? And she's, it's a surprise. Just get through practice and get right home. We're having dinner at 7. So you go through your day. There's a bounce to your step. Somebody sees and thinks you're a good player and all that. So you get home at 7 o'clock, knock at the door. You go and you open the door, and it's your second-grade flag football coach. He is, he's a retired plumber in your town, and he just loves it when these little boys that he coached in second grade start doing so well on the high, local high school team. So he's there to just 
just applaud you and how well you're doing. So honestly, like <laughs> your whole inside would probably drop, but then I'm, also you would just be, wow, thank you so much. You know, like that is so kind of you. Yeah, come on in and have dinner. But during that whole dinner, your question's still going to be just gnawing at you. Am I, am I good or am I not, right? Am I just small town good? But let's say you knock on the door and you open it up and there he is. Kirk Ferentz, right? So, or Matt Campbell, if you're a Hawkeye or a Cyclone fan, like there he is. And like your dream in small town Iowa has been to play for the Hawks or Cyclones. There he is. And he's got a scholarship in his hand. And he's saying like, we've been watching you. We're just really excited about what we see. We want you to come play for Iowa. Like, wow. Like just your excitement, your, your answer to that question, am I good, is totally different, right? In those two scenarios. And so that's the point Genesis 2 is driving us to, that if you're defined, like, am I valuable? Like, am, am, am I worth it? Like, am I uh, significant? Wow, that's, that's the place you look, you guys. And that's what God is calling us to in our relationship with him, that he is the source of our identity, the source of our security. And so that frees you from the games of trying to earn everybody else's approval, of getting on those treadmills, of acceptance and approval. It's just like, let's just start square up. You have been created by the infinite, almighty God personally and because he loves you and he is wanting to breathe his life into your life. Like, wow, that sets you up to the best answer to that question you'll ever have. Like, am I valuable? The creator of the universe says, absolutely. And then not only you, but that means everybody in your life carries that dignity of being created in the image of God. And how you treat other people is just completely flipped. Secure in your own identity, but then also free, not to compete and compare with everybody else, but to serve them and love them as fellow image bearers. Like, that's awesome, okay? So we see that in Genesis 2. Um, and so let me ask you this question this morning. Maybe you talk about in your community groups or over lunch. Like, how would you live differently this week if you really believed that the almighty creator, remember 100 billion galaxies, 100 billion stars in every galaxy, um, that God made you personally, loves you, wants to breathe life into you. If you really believed that, how would you live differently this week? All right? Think about that question and talk about it with somebody. Okay, so that's our value. Second thing we see in this passage is our vocation. That means, why are we here? Why did, why did God make us? And what are we supposed to do here on the planet? So I think you saw when we were reading through the text, uh, it made an interesting statement. It was talking about the world was kind of still formless and, and void and things weren't really happening. Did you notice there was a little statement there and there was no man to work the ground? It's like right away in the description of the world in Genesis 2, there's already a void. There's no, there's no us there, okay? But then you jump down in verse uh, 15, and it says this. It says, the Lord God took the man, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So um, we're not going to get into detail this morning about the Garden of Eden, but it was a beautiful place, like with rivers and trees. And, and the most significant thing about Eden um, was that it was a chance for people to just be in the presence of God and to enjoy all that God is. Eden means delight. Like it was the perfect delight for the first uh, man and later we'll see the first woman. And so it's interesting, two times the text says that he placed 
man in the garden. The word placed has a real connection uh, to the word rest. I thought Wade nailed the sermon last week where he's talking about this rhythm of work and rest. And just like God rested, we need to rest. But what a beautiful picture here is that when God placed man, this first man in the Garden of Eden, it's that word like rest, like this is a place for him to call home. Um, the picture to me is my girls when they were younger and they kept various forms of rodents as pets. So gerbil, I never knew gerbil hamster with the differences. They just did not like having rodents in my house. But like when they would take one of those little guys and just cup it in their hands and so gently place it like in whatever it was they were living in at that time, just gently. Like that's the picture of God placing this first person in the garden. And the purpose there is to work it and to keep it. There was a role, there was a vocation, there was a calling that God had on this first person to contribute to what God had made. Like God is the one that made this garden, but now uniquely out of all of creation, we're invited by God to work with him on his creation. That's a unique calling. So now what I'm gonna be talking about for the next few minutes is what God has intended. We're gonna see in two weeks after the fall, after the sin, there has been a curse on our work right now. So most, maybe for some of you this morning, when I say, man, work, what we're saying here is like, work is a gift from God, is a blessing. Like some of you might be thinking, but you don't know what I'm stepping into tomorrow, or you don't know who I have to work with tomorrow. You don't know how to, and so there is a brokenness to our work. Our work is hard now in some ways. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But what I do want you to see is that from the heart of God, work is a blessing. Like you've been put here uh, to know God and then he has formed you, he has gifted you and then his desire is for you to use those gifts to, to spread his grace and his goodness wherever you work, right? You're, we did this a couple weeks ago. Connect with God and then reflect him. And so wherever it is he's calling you to work, your role there is to work hard, to do well with your employees, to, to encourage them, that they would all say, man, it is a good thing she is here. It's a good thing he is on this team because you are reflecting the character of God where you work. So let me just unpack a couple of misnomers about work that when we read this, we may not go, wait, work isn't a blessing, it's a curse, isn't it? It's like, no. So work was actually there before the first sin. God, God has given us a work to do, and that's a good thing. It's a gift. Let me clarify this. Sometimes when people think God's work, they think God's work means, well, you have to be a pastor, or you have to be a global worker, you know, you have to be a preacher. You have to, like, so it's interesting that word work is used throughout the Old Testament in a variety of contexts. It's used for uh, slaves uh, making bricks, like when God's people were in slavery in Egypt and they had to make, make bricks. It's used of artisans, like who are sculpting or painting uh, or doing work with linen to decorate a temple. And it is also used for the priests and like their duties. All those were the same word. And I think what we're seeing there is God would drop the, the categories of, well, there's God's work and then there's like regular work. Like all work that God has given is really meant to be an act of worship to him. It's a seamless thread of, of our work is really to be done uh, to the glory of God. We take the abilities he's given us, and then as we connect with him, we reflect. Like we're helping, we're serving other people. We're, we're helping God. God is using us to meet the needs of other people on the planet through the various vocations that he calls us to, okay? So, so uh, work isn't bad, and there isn't like God work, other work. Like it's all uh, we're to work, do our work heartily as unto God, okay? So here's maybe another category to break down would be sometimes if you ask somebody, well, what's your vocation? Right away, we just jump to our, our job. 
right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that's definitely part of your calling. But I would say vocation is a lot broader than just, I'm a teacher, I'm a doctor, um, I drive a truck, like whatever, that, that's part of it. But you have other callings as well, other vocations as well. For example, if you're married, you're, you're, you're called uh, to be a husband or a wife. If you're part of a church, like one of your callings is to be a church member, to, to serve and use your gifts here. If you live in a city, in a community, you're called, one of your callings is to be a neighbor. Um, so uh, if, if you're a parent, your calling is to your child. Like, all of this is work. So it's not like just your job, eight to five is work, and now the rest of your life is like, I'll just do whatever. Like, so each of these are vocations that God has given you to uh, reflect him in the job you do. And so what that does is it brings dignity to each of those roles that you play. Um, if you are a husband or a wife, like part of your calling then is to bring God's goodness and grace to your spouse. If you're a parent, and if you remove this concept, I mean, just think about the drudgery when you've got little kids in the home and it seems like your life is consumed with diapers and wiping noses and, you know, fixing meals and cleaning up and wiping the floor. Like, that can get incredibly old, incredibly fast and, and can seem pointless until you look at it in this lens that God, one of our vocations is parents. And when our kids are younger, he is using us to extend grace and goodness to our kids to help bring order to their lives. And, and so as we're burning out on that, we just go back to our identity. God, help me reflect your goodness and grace, even in the grind of being a parent of young kids. And so, and so vocation isn't just your job. It's just these different roles that God has played you to. And if I could say one more thing, like maybe to this crowd primarily, but like if you're in that season of your life where you're trying to choose a vocation, like what should should I do? Like sometimes the, the misnomer is I've got to find the right career so that I'll have the, the right identity. Like my identity be wrapped up in how much I make or how influential I will be. And I think what Genesis 2 and throughout the scripture would call us more to is don't look for identity from a job because that's going to burn you out. You are going to work hard. You're going to compete. You're going to, so your value and dignity comes from your relationship with God. And then as you look at that, you see how has God gifted me? Like when he shaped me, what gifts has he given me? What talents, what passions, what abilities? And then I look for a, you know, one of our vocations is our career, our job. How can I choose a career that will help me best reflect who God is and bring goodness and his grace to as many people as possible? And so um, there are so many studies done of people who pick careers based on just status or uh, salary and how under um, just whelming those careers end up to be in the places they lead. But those who see their career path choice lining up with their convictions and knowing that what they're doing is valuing other people, man, job satisfaction just soars. And so what God is inviting us into is that kind of arrangement with our work. And so um, I was, as I'm, I knew, was teaching on this topic this week, I uh, just came across just several good examples I uh, just wanted to share uh, with you. So um, this week, for example, somebody from Parkview uh, needed to go to a supervisor and ask for a change in schedule uh, with the, the entity this person works with. And I um, was a little bit nervous about it, but went and asked, and the response back was incredibly gracious. The response back was, you are doing such an excellent job around here. We would love to keep you with the, the organization. We love to keep you with the company. So 
we may not be able to keep you here, but can we keep you? Like, is it okay if we shift you over here and then shift the hours and give you the hours you want? Like, but please, we would love for you to stay. Like, he was so encouraged by that, and I was so affirming of him. Guy, that means you're doing a great job there, that you are working hard, and those people see that, and you're a valuable member of their team. So, it was a great example. I looked around our own office, for example. We have several people that you will never probably see up here, like that don't get noticed uh, up front. But for example, we have some part-time, we have a whole office of part-time administrators that do an outstanding job. Emily has the huge task of helping me stay on task. That's massive, pray for her often. Okay, so that's her. Um, there are two women that um, handle phone calls and a lot of the incoming people. And I'm, my office is just around the corner and I can hear the tone out there, it's just so, calming and there, there we get a wide range of phone calls here we get some very angry ones some very confused it's just so cool to hear those guys disarm even the most awkward of conversations and just to hear the warmth with which they greet people when they come in there's an admin named casey that pray for her a lot too because uh she's working with a couple of our just guys that are just doing a lot of work and so it's fun to swing by her desk and just go, what are you working on? Man, just without a, missing a beat, she'll tell me what she's working on, like why it's important, and you can just tell she cares about it, and she cares about what she's doing, but yet yeah, does it with such a steady and calm heart. That's beautiful to see that. You know, there's a guy that comes through here on Sundays and different times of the week and cleans up after us. His name's Gary. He'd never make a big deal of what he does, but if you ever see, I, have, I cannot remember seeing him without a smile on his face when he's cleaning bathrooms or cleaning floors. Like, just a positive guy. That makes, that fires me up to see people doing their job like that, uh, ex- extending the grace and goodness of God through their work. And so, um, and, and I, I have found that throughout this church, that if I meet somebody and I know they work, like where some of you guys work, I'll go, oh, do you know so-and-so and so-and-so? And I would say, like, let's put it in the 99 percentile like that is a positive thing like when I say one of you guys it's like oh man they're great I just yeah I love working with them I love that and so so what a beautiful way that I see in many ways you guys just taking Genesis 2 that your job is a place and it's a vocation uh, where you are extending the goodness and grace of God so Friday night there's a there, here's like a husband wife team doing this well Friday night, there's a guy I've been tracking with for a couple years, and uh, he's a community group leader. He uh, is a businessman. He uh, helps coach a football team in the area, and his wife is a school teacher, so, and they have five kids. So um, uh, I have this group of guys that I text on Friday afternoons, football players from Parkview and some coaches, and just you know, praying for you to represent Jesus well, praying for you have courage, that kind of thing. So this guy sometimes will text me during games. Like some, one time, a couple weeks ago, he texted me from the coach's booth and just showed me the field and goes, do you want to call a play? Like they were up like 40-something to nothing. It's like, dude, are you serious? Like, so it was kind of fun. But he's like, he said, you need to come out here, come up in the booth with me some night. So Friday night, we went to this school. And uh, for the, he said, come up at halftime. So first half, we're down on the field, on the, ble- on the sideline. And uh, his wife, who's been a school teacher for 12 years, you guys, with kindergartners, just was surrounded by all these little kids. Like five of them were theirs, but she kept saying, that's one of my kids, that's one of mine, that's one of mine, that's one of mine. It's like, wait a minute, you're over five. So, oh no, I'm sorry, I'm talking about kids that I've either taught or used to teach. Like, they're all, they're all kind of, like just guys, seriously, all these families and little kids are just interacting with her, smiling, like 
you, just to say to her, you have blessed this community. Just look at all these people that, and just, just loves that. Something else this guy has told me about is his marriage. He says one of our favorite commitments is our date night commitment. Like every Saturday we take a date night. So it was fun to just ask her, like, so tell me about like date night. Exactly, you know, your husband says these are great nights. And just rolled, oh yeah, they're, they're great and all that. So um, halftime came, they were losing six to nothing. I could tell it was tense. So I didn't even offer to go up. And afterwards he said, yeah, it was probably good you didn't come up. It's pretty intense up there. They ended up winning afterwards. But um, what, a, what a beautiful picture. And, and one other thing, like this guy has a skill set that has really helped us on the East Campus build out. So I, to me, that was a picture of vocation in action. You see a marriage with a husband and wife, like sharing God's grace and goodness with each other. You see parenting. You see a woman as a teacher who's just been an amazing blessing to kids and a family. Uh, you see a husband doing that for his wife, and this guy coaching, like when he got baptized three years ago, he invited the whole team here. If you remember that Sunday, it was like 50 football, high school football players, like sitting right there. Like he's coaching, but he's also using that as a platform. And then a guy who's using his time to be a community group leader, a guy who's using his business to bless a church. Like that, again, if he came up here, they would go, my life's a wreck. Like, I don't think I got this all together. But there's a guy that's, that's, that's trying, like, and sees, like, God has given me these things, and I want to be, I want to, I want to, uh, I want to follow my callings. I'm going to live out my vocations well. And so my question for you on this point would be this. Like, what are your vocations? Maybe that S is new for you. Maybe you used to just think job. But I wonder if sometime today you just sit down and map out, what are my callings? What are my vocations? And then how am I doing at extending the grace and goodness of God through each one of those? I, I have five callings I use in my life. It's that I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I'm a steward. It means I take care of the things God has entrusted me with, uh, and I'm a pastor. And those are the areas I ask questions, I set goals, and I lay before God. But if you were to do that, what are your vocations? And, and ask God, how am I doing at extending your grace and goodness in each of those? The last point is going to be quick. So we've seen our value, our vocation, and now our joy. Verse 16 and 17. Uh, God said this. He said, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Okay? Let's hold on to that last verse, the surely die. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. But I do want you to see what the first commandment out of the mouth of God to his first person he created was. It was, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Like he's saying, enjoy. Like, go. Just all of this I have made, go enjoy this. Like it just maybe flies in comparison of what a lot of people outside of Christianity think about the Bible or think about God. Like he's just there to tell us, no, 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 don't, don't, don't. Like the first words are like, hey, you know, you see this amazing garden that I have made, the beauty, the, the trees, the, just go. Like he's not a God that says, stay off the grass or don't go touch those trees or hey, that part's really important. Don't go over there. He's just like, here you go. Like here's the whole deal. Just go and enjoy that's the heart of your God. We saw that at the end of chapter one where he just created the first man and woman and then he blessed them. Like that's the heart of your God is to bless you. And then he puts in that, that, that second part of that command is he lays out the first restriction. And so what he's inviting us to there 
is a unique relationship that you will see any other in the rest of creation. There's no other element of creation that's invited to have a choice. Like you're gonna trust him or you obey him or you're just gonna do your own thing. And so what he's calling us to is a place of intimate trust where we see how awesome he is and then we trust that and we move toward that by obeying him, by listening to him and doing what he says. And as you, this is a whole theme that gets elaborated throughout the book of Genesis. But you see when God gives his people a command, it's always to provide for them or to protect them. It's not to kill their fun or rob their joy. Like he's a good God. And so you see this whole unique, intimate prospect of a relationship where he's calling us to a trusting place where out of all that he has made, go and enjoy. But let me ask you to just not, like just from this one place, this one tree, no. Otherwise, I just go and enjoy. And so uh, we realize and we know what's coming. That's what's so hard about studying Genesis 2 is, you know, Genesis 3 is coming. It's like, bummer. You know, it's like good movie where you know it's going great, but you know something hard's coming. So like we know that's coming. And so uh, what, do we, what do we do with this? And so I can imagine as Moses' audience is hearing this story for the first time and remember that they've seen 400 years of slavery, they've been treated poorly, they've been looked down on and oppressed and all these things. They're, they're probably asking some of the same questions. Okay, if that's how this all got set up, like, <laughs> what happened? Like, why isn't that here? But what you see throughout, the, even the teachings of Moses, but throughout the Old Testament and into the life of Christ, that we have a God who is at work now to restore what he intended there in Genesis 2. And that you get to the end of the Bible and you look at Revelation 22 and you see another garden scene, except it's way better. And you see people in the presence of God without sin and it's way better. And so something clearly has changed and that big change comes through uh, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the one who has, God is using uh, to restore what was intended to what is, to what will be. And it's all through Christ. And so this morning, we're celebrating communion. We're celebrating what Jesus has done uh, to reverse like the curse and to see you know, where we are now. How can we get back to what God had intended it, uh, to be? And so through Christ, that's where our identity and our relationship with God is restored. And it's through Christ that our motive and our joy and our energy to work comes from. And it's in Christ that we're restored to fullness of joy because we can live in the presence of God. So the gospel message is this, that we were so sinful and broken that our only hope was that the sinless Son of God had to die for us. But we were so loved that he did that with joy. All right? So that's what we celebrate. And, and now we see from Genesis 2 what God has intended. And through Christ, we, we live toward those truths that we see and shortly we'll celebrate. So let me pray for us and then Paul will come lead us. So as I close, I just, I, I, I've thought of Genesis, or I've thought of Rebel, or I'm sorry, gosh, Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, that says this, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that anyone can boast. Like Jesus, we praise you that you have saved us by your grace, by what you did on the cross. But then verse 10 says that we are God's workmanship. 
uh, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared in advance to us, for us to do. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for us, forgiving us, and now setting us free to live for what God has intended for us to live for, to know that our value is from him, that our vocation is amazing, that we can reflect his grace and goodness wherever we go, and that we can have joy through you. And in your great name we pray, Jesus. Amen.